Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening session of Wednesday the 18th of February 2009, entitled, The Issue with the Other Brother. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 32. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, if you're glad to be here tonight, say amen. Turn to our text very quickly, Matthew chapter number 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 28. I'm thankful that uh, the visitors are here. Some of you I've known for quite a few years, and you're back, and I thank God for that. It's so good to see all of you. Some of you are new time. Now, the real preacher is not preaching. This isn't real preaching. When he pastors on Sunday, you can hear the real preacher. You won't come back on Sunday, but no, I'm, I'm just playing. Uh, I thank God for the opportunity to stand before you precious people and break the bread of life, and so I hope I can be a help and blessing to you tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter number 11 and verse 28. Once you found your place there, then I want you to find your place, uh, maybe hold your place there and turn over to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Matthew chapter number 11, verse 28, and in Luke chapter number 15, verse number 1. I've entitled my message tonight, The Issue with the Other Brother. The Issue with the Other Brother. Now I want us to look at our text. It says, Jesus made this statement. He said, Brother Chris, he said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That means burdened down with cares. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And he said, I will give you rest. Look at the rest of it. Look at the last two verses of the short chapter. He said, for take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Now, I don't know about you, but... If you live in today's society, I guarantee you there's one time or another in your life where you've been heavy laden and burdened down. And Jesus said, if you've got cares in this world, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to bring them to me. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, hold your place right there and turn over to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 1. Luke chapter 15, verse number 1. Look at what Jesus says. He said, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees, look at it, the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man, this Jesus, receiveth sinners, he even receiveth and eats with them. Now look up at me. What they were saying was, it's an indictment for even this guy, who they thought was just a great teacher, by the way, They said, man, this guy, he hangs around these nasty, rotten publicans and sinners. And do you know what he he should have said to them? Now, he doesn't say this because he was God. I, as a human being, a preacher, probably get in the flesh and I'd say, you know what? Why don't you mind your own business in the name of Jesus? But do you know what Jesus did? Because he was the God of the universe. This is what Jesus did, Brother Peter. He begins to preach to them. You know what he should have said? Now, I'm not trying to correct our Lord, but I am saying this. He probably could have said, you know what? You are accusing me of eating with people that you consider down and out. And if you accuse me of being uh, doing that, he said, I'm guilty. That's why I came. And if you want to know why he said that or why he would have said that, look at the next verse. He says in verse number 3, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine, go in the wilderness, and find that one, and go after that one which was lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his what? Shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now look up at me. He tells a story about a lost sheep. Now folks, let me tell you something about sheep. Sheep have three qualities. Number one, they have no direction in life. If they don't have a shepherd to lead them, they'll walk out and they'll begin to eat little plots of grass here and here and here. Before they know it, the shepherd's gone with the flock and that one little sheep's going, well, where'd the rest of the flock go? And they don't know where they're going. They lack direction. Let me tell you something about sheep. They lack discernment. You say, what's that word mean? It means sheep are dumb, okay? By the way, you know what Jesus calls us? He calls us, He says, we're His sheep. And you know what? Sometimes we can do some dumb things, can't we? We can do some awful, stupid things. I'll never forget this. I was going out to eat lunch with a friend of mine. Brother Peter, we're walking into the, uh, the, to the shop that we're going to eat lunch at. And I did not realize I always used this one door, okay? And it was always the one that, you know, you can latch and leave and open one. And, but it was double doors. And I was always used to using the left one. I'm left-handed, Dave. And so I used the left one. Well, we're talking. And I mean, we're just getting with it. And I go to open that door and wham, I walk right into it. Now, you know what? We do some awful stupid things sometimes, but you know what? That's what we just are. We're sheep, and we lack discernment. We lack direction. We lack discernment. But a third thing that a sheep lacks is defense. See, a sheep can't take care of itself. It's not a very vicious animal, not a very vicious creature, not a very brutal creature, so it lacks defense. Well, you know what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6? He said, I, if you, listen, if you're in here tonight and you lack direction, Jesus said, I am the what? Hey, you may be in here tonight and you lack discernment. You, you know what? You've kind of lost your discernment and you kind of, you know, dumb on purpose sometimes, okay? But you know what Jesus said? He said, I'm not only the way, but I'm the what? Truth. And if you lack defense, he said, I am the life. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to, to hear, in here tonight, but I'm here to tell you the only way that you're going to get to heaven. You may have heard all other kind of religious stories, but I'm here to tell you tonight that there is one that said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I did not say that. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ said that. And he said, the same one that said that at Lazarus' grave said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, did you hear me? No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus tells a story about a lost sheep. Where are you at tonight? You lack direction, you lack discernment, you lack defense. Jesus said, I'm the way. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Listen, he tells a story, Brother Peter, about a lost sheep, but look at it. Let's go read on. Luke chapter number 15, he tells a story about a lost silver. Look at it. And verse number 8, he says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, turn the lights on, sweep the house, seek diligently, diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. You know what, folks? We are very, very guilty. We just did it coming down here. Brother Malcolm did what I do a lot of times, couldn't find the keys that he's supposed to have for the church. Not trying to put you on the spot, Malcolm, but you know what? I, I've walked around the house for hours before looking for my glasses and they're on top of my head. But which one of you, if you lost next week's car payment, 
would not sweep the house and diligently look everywhere you could for that car payment because it was important. Let me tell you what. More than that, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that comes to Calvary. One. If I only came to England in 2002 up till now and one person came to Jesus Christ, it would be worth it all. Folks, listen, Jesus is beginning to tell them a story. He's trying to give them an object lesson. They said, you know what? This man receives these wicked, nasty, vile sinners and even eats with them. And he said, you know what? I'm guilty. That's who I came for. He tells about a lost sheep. He tells about a lost silver. But look at chapter number 15. Look what happens after he tells these two, two stories. He goes into a story and says, he said there was a certain man who had two sons. Look at verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now I want you to notice something that you may have never ever read and you've read this story a hundred times. Look at the next part of the verse. The younger said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And the father, he, divided unto who? Them. Them. His living. You ought to circle the word them and say, that's you know what, that's going to be very important in just a minute. You know what, Brother Peter? He begins to tell a story. First he tells Neil a story of a lost sheep. Then he tells a story of a lost silver. But then, Chris, he goes into a story about a lost son. Folks, I was preaching in Columbia, South Carolina about a year ago, a year and a half ago. The administrator of the Christian school there, his name's Tim Stevens, came to me. And he said, I got a story to tell you. We sat down and I was really burdened about a few things and we began to talk over a cup of coffee and he began to tell me a story I could not believe. This guy is the epitome. I mean, he is a great, good, godly man. Listen, loves Lord Jesus Christ. He loves people. But he told me a story about his daughter. Daughter fell in love with this guy. Well, he told her he loved him, but she, she didn't know what love was. She's only 15. Well, he was about 22. Well, he told her he loved her, but he really didn't mean it. He just wanted to take advantage of her. Now, I'm not going to go into this with a mixed crowd, but I'm just here to tell you long short of it. She fell away from God. She got in a relationship with this guy, moved in with him. They began to do all sorts of things. I'm not just talking about immorality. I'm talking about all other sorts of things. Got out of the will of God. This man's heart was broken. Man, he got on his face and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed for his daughter to come back. And you know what? He did not go out there and push himself on her. He just got down on his knees and prayed. You know what Spurgeon said in one of his commentaries? He said, I bet you this father, when he gave his son what was not supposed to be his at that time, but yet legally he, he could do it. There was nothing wrong with that. It just wasn't ethically right. He said that father, that father probably spent day after day after day while that son was out in a far country wasting his dad's substance on riotous living. Brother Ron, he probably was out there and every time somebody came toward the house, he'd go, is that him? Is, is that? And he'd go, no, that ain't him. Man, Tim sat across from a desk. I'm talking a 50-year-old father looking at me with tears streaming down his face. And he said, I thought my daughter would die. He said, I didn't know where she was for about a year and a half. And he said, we were in a Wednesday night prayer meeting in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, on a Wednesday night. He said it had been three years she had been gone. He said, Carl, I was down on my knees and we were praying in a Wednesday night prayer service. And they began to mention her by name. Lord, I pray for Celia. I pray for Celia. Lord, we pray for Celia. God, bring her back. And you know what happened? 
As they were praying for her by name, the doors opened up and she walked in the church. She walked down the center aisle. She tapped her daddy on the shoulder and she said, Dad, she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I want to come back home. You know what he didn't do? He didn't look at her and say, Well, you're nasty. You got all kind of tattoos on you now. And you look dirty. No, he didn't say a thing. He hugged her neck. He said, Thank God. I want to read a story to you. Dear Dad, a man walks by his son's room one day and he notices something very unusual. The bed's made and the floor's cleaned up. But he notices on the pillow there is an envelope with his dad's name on it. He walks into the room, he opens the envelope up, he takes the letter out. It says this, Peter, Dear Dad, it's with great sorrow that I write this letter to you. I'm eloping with my girlfriend to avoid an ugly scene with you and mom. We're really passionate with one another. I love her. She's not only passionate, Dad, she's pregnant. I know you don't care about her because she's 28 and I'm 16, but she, she's already got a trailer in the woods and we've got enough wood to burn through the winter, so I'm going to move in with her. She says she wants to have many more children, so that's my dream too. She taught me that marijuana is okay. It's medicinal, you know. So we'll be growing it to trade her friends for crack cocaine all we want. In the meantime... We're praying that science will find a cure for all the STDs she has. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 16. I know how to take care of myself. We'll come visit you in the future because I know you'd want to see your grandchildren. Love, John. P.S., Dad. None of the above things is true. I'm over at the neighbor's house. I just wanted you to remind you that there are, more, there are worse things in life than my report card. Which is in the center drawer of my desk. I love you. Call me when it's safe for me to come home. You know, I love stories of restoration. But do you know far many times that letter I read is true. You know what Jesus was saying? He's saying, I love that one that I can bring back to myself more than you'll know. I don't know where you're at in your life tonight, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus is on a crusade. He's on a mission to find you. He tells a story of a lost, uh, a lost sheep. He tells a story of a lost silver. Brother Peter tells a story of a lost son here. But that's not my message tonight. My message tonight is about the other brother. I want to read on in chapter number 15. I want you to look at verse number 13. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land that he began to be in want. Notice this, folks, that every time you see the word waste, it's always followed by the word want. And the engine of waste is always followed by the caboose of want. Folks, you can't say to your heavenly Father, give me what's rightfully mine and then leave me alone. Dad, I want you to give me the keys, but then leave me alone about my uh, duties in the house. 
I want you to give me a 20-pound note, Mom, but leave me alone about taking the trash out. No, that's not the way you should react. Listen, Jesus is telling a story about a prodigal son and he says, you know what? That son took his daddy's inheritance. He went into a far country. He there wasted it on riotous living Neil. And then listen to this. It says when he had wasted it, look at verse number 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and went, uh, went and sent him into the, his fields to feed swine. And when he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Do you know this was a Jewish boy? Here's a Jew, a law-abiding Jew, now eaten with pigs, an unclean animal. Now, hey, he said, you know what, Daddy? I want you to give me what's mine and leave me alone. Dad said, okay. Look at verse number 16 again. When he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. Basically, what he's saying is this, folks. My daddy's servants have got more in their refrigerator right now than I've ever had in my life. Look at verse number 18. And I will arise, he said. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He began to recite this. This is going to be a three-fold petition I'm going to give to my daddy. I've sinned against heaven before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me a servant. So he began to recite this, and began to recite this, and he said, that's what I'm going to do. Well, it says in verse number 20, and he arose and came to his father. By the way, did it say that the father got up and ran to him? No, it said he got up and he went toward the father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father cut him off, and he didn't even get to say the third part of his petition. Look at what happens in verse number 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. Put it on, his, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be what? I wonder why it is it's when we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It looks like we're sucking on persimmons. Y'all ain't much liking that, are you? We sing Amazing Grace like we're mad about it. Hey, listen, if you're saved, be happy about it. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Don't clap your hands. I'm just telling you, if we're born again, we ought to have some joy in our heart if we know that we're going to spend eternity with the King of kings and Lord of lords, Brother Downey. The problem with us is that we're saved sometimes and mad about it. Don't be mad about it. Be merry. Listen, folks. When you know that one that you've been praying for to come home comes home, man, and you know what? You begin to hug their neck and you say, Thank God you're home. You're back in my protection. I'm going to tell you something. You'd sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. See, here's where the whole thing starts to shift. See, Jesus was the perfect preacher. He's got a multitude of people. You know what? All different types of cultures, backgrounds, uh, all different kind of ethnic groups. He's got them all sitting on a hillside. And he begins to tell a story because the, there was a complaining, griping, critical crowd over here called Pharisees and scribes. And they said, huh, Jesus, this guy who says he's the Messiah, 
He's over there eating with publicans and sinners. What do you think about that, guys? Jesus said, let me tell you something. He begins to tell them stories about a lost sheep. Now notice something, folks. I want you to notice what Jesus does. When Jesus is telling the story about a lost sheep and lost silver and a lost son, he's looking over here at the publicans and sinners that needed to come. Listen, Jesus said a physician has to work on people who realize they're sick. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And see, folks, the place you might have to get tonight is to realize you really have a definite need. You might need to realize tonight that you know what your need ain't just being a better person, turning over a new leaf. You know what? If you realize really who you are based upon what this book says, you realize, you know what? You can't work your way to heaven. Jesus worked you there by two pieces of wood and three nails. God built a bridge to heaven, and Jesus said, I am the way. But he's looking at these publicans and sinners, Brian, and he's speaking to them. I mean, he's looking them right in the eye and he said, you know what? The father, listen, what shepherd, when he found the one lost sheep, wouldn't rejoice and be glad? Put it on his shoulders and carry it back and be married with his friends and neighbors. Hey, that woman that found that one piece of lost silver, Romani, when she finds it, she rejoices. He said, likewise, the angels in heaven rejoice over one that repenteth. And he's looking at these publicans and sinners. And then, when he gets done telling the parable about a prodigal son, the one that's off in a far country, he turns, if you will, and looks right at the Pharisees. And it begins to say this. Look at the next verse. Verse number 25. It says, Now his elder son, the father's other son, this prodigal's brother. See, we got two sons here. I want to talk about the other brother. And the issue is this. Though the prodigal son on the outside looked like he was a vile, wicked person and the, the elder son who stayed home, worked for his daddy, hey, you know what, that's a, that's a, no, that's a, that's a noble thing, isn't it, to work. That's a good four-letter word, by the way. W-O-R-K, work. Guys learn how to do it. All right? It was, listen, it was a noble thing for him to stay at home and work. But guess what? He got angry about it when he saw his brother come back who had wasted his substance on riotous living. Let me tell you something, folks. We have got a lot of people that want to say because a person... Now listen to me now. You may be one of these people. You may be a good, good Bible-believing metal Baptist. But you know what? With your spiritual spectacles, you look down your nose at somebody that may not look like you, smell like you, and dress like you, act like you. You know what? That is sin if you do that. You're welcome. Red, yellow, black, white, all are precious in His sight. God loves the little children of the world. And don't you dare thumb your nose down at somebody because they don't look like you or act like you. You know what? You have a heart of love for them because you know what? Their need probably is the same need you had. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care what ethnic group you came from tonight. I'm here to tell you there is nothing that delineates between a saved man and a lost man than this. He is a human being and he needs to trust Christ. These Pharisees looked at these publicans and sinners and thumbed their nose at them. And see, because of maybe an outward appearance, guess what? The prodigal was looked down, by, down at by the elder son because why? Because he went out, he found a bunch of harlots and prostitutes and wasted all of his daddy's money on gambling and drinking and all that carousing and everything. And his brother said, huh, 
I stayed at home and worked for my daddy. And he never even gave me a kid, a goat, to make merry. But he kills the fatted calf, the best one we got, and makes a party. And you know what? I'm angry about it. And you know what? That's what the Pharisees were mad about. Jesus was over here having time with the down and out when the up and out were bitter about it. And I'm going to tell you right now, here's the problem in society. Here's the problem in Christianity. Hello? You might be under the sign of my voice and you are guilty of this. You know what? We want, to t- we want to look on the outside of a person and say, you know what? They're wicked. Well, you know what? Maybe they might have great, long hair. What in the world? They may have time. What in the world? Why are we doing that? Why are we being critical about somebody's outward appearance when you know what? God looks at the heart. I'm here to tell you folks, I believe this based upon what I've read in Scripture that the sins of the flesh are not nowhere near as bad as the sins of the Spirit. Do you know what the Pharisees were guilty of? They kept all the law, but they were guilty of this one thing and it was the most predominant thing. They were guilty of having the sin of the Spirit. They were greedy, and you know what? A lot of times, you can't tell if a person's bitter until maybe that's squeezed hard enough and it begins to ooze out of them. But you know what? Inside, you can't look at a person's heart. But inside, a lot of times, people that want to point their fingers at somebody because of their outward appearance are far worse off than the person that's like that. See, folks, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he got right with God. Guess what he said? He said, I've sinned. When Nathan came to him, Brother Downey, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. But when he numbered the people, which what God told him not to do, Pastor, you know what he said? When God called him on the carpet, and at, listen, at, on that threshing floor, he said, you know what? When he called him and he gave him three choices and he chose one, guess what? God said, you know what? You're wrong for number the people. It's a pride issue. And you know what David said? He didn't say, I've sinned against the Lord. He said, I've sinned greatly against the Lord. Something you couldn't see, he said, was of greater Detriment than something you could see on the outside. Adultery. Folks, I'm here to tell you something. We as God's people need to realize that the sins of the Spirit are far worse than the sins of the flesh. You say, what are those? Well, let me ask you something tonight. Have you got all to get somebody that may not be in this room tonight? And you're angry about it? You know what Jesus said? Jesus told the people in that day, He said, you know what's been said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. That was one of the commandments, right? This is yes, this is no. It's one of the commandments. He said, thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, yeah. The, the Pharisee said, yeah, that's, that's what the law says. He said, well, I say unto you, if you hate your brother without a cause, you've committed murder already in your heart. You've killed him. <laughs> they said, thou shalt not commit adultery. They, Amen. That's what, he, that's what the Pharisee said. Amen. But you know what he said? He looked at all of those Pharisees. And he said, I say unto you, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Hello? Takes it a takes a little farther than just reading the law, isn't it? It's talking about this. Now, folks, I want to talk to you not only about a lost sheep, a lost silver, and a lost son, but I want to talk to you about a lost spirit. There is something wrong with the spirit of this other brother. This elder son, I want you to look at it, verse number 26. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He heard music and dancing going on in the house. And the servant said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And boy, you'd have thought that that other brother would went, Glory! But he didn't. Look at what he said. Look at verse 28. It says he was angry, and he would not go in. 
Therefore came his father out and entreated him, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many dates have I served thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, a goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, he didn't even call him his brother, he said, as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, it's literally another word for a street walker, a prostitute, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said, the father said unto him, Son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is what? Say it. Thine. Go back to verse number 12. When the father separated the goods and the inheritance, it said he divided it and gave the portions to the other son, and he divided unto them his living. You know what, folks? If this elder son would have understood what his dad was doing, he'd already divided it both halfway down the middle. The son... The youngest son took it and wasted on riotous living. The elder son already had the rest of the inheritance, but yet he was acting like over sitting in the corner sucking his thumb. So you need to realize who you are and what you got. Some of you in here, you know what? You complain, you complain. Had a lady in my church. You want to know what the three things? I'm going to give you meat and potatoes, okay? Meat and potatoes. Three things wrong with the elder son. The spirit of the elder son. You know what they were? Number one, he was unthankful. Hello? He was unthankful, he was unforgiving, and he was unbroken. He was unthankful. I had a lady coming to my church. I'm going to tell you right now. I'll tell you what thankfulness will do. When you have an attitude of gratitude, I even preached about it Monday and talked about it. When you have an attitude of gratitude, you know what it will produce in your life? It will produce freedom. It will produce a liberty in your life. You know what, folks? You know what the devil is going to separate the church, and he's already started. You know what's going to divide our churches in this century? It's a thing called worship. Now, folks, I am not an ecumenicist, and I'm not charismatic, and I'm not Pentecostal. I think you can jump as high as you want and shout loud you do, as long as when you hit the ground, you speak in English. That's all I care about. Amen? But I'm here to tell you that I believe the devil in this day is going to separate the church in a thing called worship. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Have you ever been pastor up here and you've been preaching and I'm just kind of going to talk where we live and you've been up here, you maybe, Brother Downey, been preaching or even been in a, a preacher's uh, fellowship and man, the guy that's preaching begins to make a statement, begins to make a statement and all of a sudden you just lose yourself in what he said and you go off into a, another realm and you begin to worship Jesus Christ and you know what, nobody knows that but you know what, you let a preacher get up in the pulpit and get so lost and enamored in, 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 in with the presence of God he just breaks out in song and begins to sing hey, you know what people say that guy's got a screw loose something wrong with him I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how many letters you got after your last name. I don't care what it is. Let me tell you something. If you've got a heart for Jesus Christ, don't you let anybody tell you that it's, it's not right for you not to praise God or for you to praise God. You know what? When you're thankful, it'll produce a spirit of freedom and liberty in your life. It'll produce liberty. You know what? David had some liberty. Let me tell you about David. King David, when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, guess what? The people with him began to look at King David. And we're talking about the king of Israel. 
They're carrying the ark back into the city of Jerusalem. And guess what David's doing? David is leaping and dancing before the Lord. And you know what, folks? It said all he had on was a linen ephod. Now, I don't know what a linen ephod is. I think it might have been a pair of sanctified gym shorts or something. I'm just telling you, he didn't have a whole lot of clothes on. Now that right there don't settle too well for some people. Number one, the word dancing don't settle too much for some people. But I'm telling you this, David was dancing and leaping before the Lord. Why? Because he was liberated, he was happy. You know what I've had some people do? I've had some people say, we don't clap in services. We don't applaud. Not God's will. I'm here to tell you folks, I don't care what happens, when God does something in your heart, you need to praise Him. I had a lady come to me one time and she said, Preacher, you know what I don't like? I said, yeah, I know what you don't like. Everything. Everything. Oh, you do? She, same lady came to me one time and said, Preacher, I've been praying about leaving the church. I said, well, that makes two of us. All you do is complain, gripe and complain about everything. You know what? what when in the world did we get so, so contrary Instead of just praising God. I don't understand this, but preacher, it wasn't too long ago. You know him, Dave Lancaster, got a letter from a got a letter from a fella. And uh well it wasn't Dave Lancaster, it was another young man. Another young man, Dave and me were talking about it. He got a letter from a pastor who he visited the church and he was a young preacher boy. He wanted to go out and preach at this church. He sent a nice little brochure off and pamphlet. Got a letter back from the pastor that said this. Said, dear brother, so-and-so, we regret to tell you that we just can't have you come and preach at our church. We cannot have anybody in our pulpit that has facial hair. Facial hair. He showed me the letter. I said, am I, am I reading this right? Facial hair. Huh? You know what? He said, what do I do, preacher? What do I do? I said, now I'll tell you what I would have probably told him if I was in the spirit that time when I read that letter. I'd have probably said, well, you know what? Somebody that would feel that way don't even deserve a response. But I said, we're not going to do that one on this one. We're going to respond to this letter, my friend. So I took out a big Sharpie magic marker. And I wrote on that letter in black magic marker, do you have eyebrows. What's wrong with us? We're sitting around worried about whether a man's got facial hair or not, and if he does, he's not qualified to preach. Hogwash! We will sit and... We're going to sit and argue and debate about stuff that ain't even going to matter in eternity when people are around us that have definite needs and we as God's people are going to sit back and argue about facial hair. Just like this lady come to me. You know what I don't like? I said, yeah, everything. Same lady. I remember distinctly in Salisbury, same lady told a young lady my wife took in named Wendy. And I, I heard this second hand, but she said, I promise you I heard her say this. She told this young lady, she said, you know what? You drink, you smoke, you do all these things, you're dirty, you need to take a bath. What kind of attitude is that? I'll tell you one thing, it ain't what Jesus did. 
Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. And let me tell you something, folks. If I get the opportunity, I will too. Had a young lady come up to me one time and she was pregnant, obviously about six months. She looked at me, Peter, and she said, "Uh, do you know a good church in the area? She's from Wilmington. I said, yeah, you ought to come down to Grace, go to our church. I was youth pastor there. She said, uh, I said, where'd you used to go to church? She said, well, I used to go to church down here at XYZ Baptist Church. I said, well, why don't you go there anymore? She said, well, there was some ladies in there and they kind of, they kind of shunned me because I was pregnant and all that. And I just didn't feel, I said, you, you better off not going there. You better off. That ain't even church. I know I'm running a rabbit, but I feel like it. Amen. I'm preaching. You ain't. Amen. This young man was unthankful. He had a, he, listen, he was in, he was ungrateful for everything that came his way. But not only that, he was unforgiving. He was unforgiving. You know what he hold? He held resentment in his heart. He held resentment in his heart. I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody tonight. You've got a grudge, you've got resentment towards somebody that may have been, had preferential treatment you didn't, and you've held a, you've held a grudge and you're resentful toward that person. Ever heard somebody say this? After everything I did for this church, I can't believe they treat me like that. Everything I've done for this church. Well, you should have been doing it for Jesus. After everything I did for this church, I'm leaving. I've been offended. Well, you know what? I've gone to the restroom in some churches when I'm preaching, and I don't know who was in there before I was, but they offended me. Well, I had a bad experience in church. Well, I've had a bad experience in the restroom before, but that don't stop me from going again. We are so hypocritical. We're hypocrites. We got to be, listen, we need to be, uh, listen, we need to be thankful. We need to be forgiving. But I'll tell you what the problem was with this young man. His biggest problem was this he was unbroken. He was unbroken. I want you to look at what he says here in chapter number in chapter number 15 and verse number 29. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Sounds to me like he didn't have a spirit of servitude. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Guess what? The whole time he had his daddy's inheritance. He was unbroken. And folks, I promise you this. If you sit around for the next 10, 15 years of your life, if Jesus don't come back, and you don't have a spirit of humility. You know, I met a guy, Dr. Bob Kelly. Dr. Bob Kelly's in heaven right now. I was there about two months before he passed and went into eternity. I was preaching at the uh, at the, uh, at the uh, youth camp for the uh, Christian school there at Grace Christian Academy and. In, in, in West Columbia, South Carolina. I went up to Dr. Bob Kelly and I said, Dr. Kelly, I know you ain't got long. I said, you've even talked to your staff about it. I said, how are you getting through this time? How are you getting through it? He said, well, for the last 18 to 20 years of my ministry here at Grace Baptist, he said, I've taught my people how to live. He said, for the next few short months, I'm going to teach them how to die. You know what I think that is? I think that's a spirit of humility. 
It wasn't too long after that I talked to the youth pastor there, his son-in-law. And I asked his son-in-law, I said, what was going on in those last days? I just like to know because you know what? I think your life is marked not by how you live, but how you die too. He said that Brother Kelly would sit up in the bed. You talk about a man that was broken. He'd sit up in the bed out of a deep trance. Just sit up in the bed. He'd begin to pray for people in the church. And he'd lay back down. There'd be times when he'd sit up and he'd begin to preach. He didn't even know what he was doing. He was just doing what came normal and, and it just came, it was accustomed to do. He'd sit up in the bed and he'd quote scripture. I say unto you, we're going to rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. And then he'd lay back down. And I said, you know what? That man went into eternity how he lived. Praising God. Folks, can I ask you something tonight? Don't have the issue that the other brother had. Don't be ungrateful. Have a spirit of thanksgiving. Be thankful. Listen, you know what the problem was with that elder son? He was unforgiving. But the third thing that was wrong with him, he was unbroken. So you know what, folks? I found out that water always flows to the low place, so grace flows to the humble. Down in the low place. And folks, if we don't get this, let a guy to Christ, Sam's his name, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, to camp. Sam came to that camp. He hated his daddy. He couldn't stand his daddy. I began to talk to him, and after a while, uh, some things uh, began to look like they was going to turn, and then, of course, just like it always is, a lot of friends showed up, and they drug him away, and they went and played some games, getting talked to him the rest of the night. On the last day of the camp, I preached on the rapture. When I got to the end of that message, I'm telling you this, Sam was absolutely broken. He came forward, gave his life to Christ. The youth pastor led him to Calvary. When we got done, I asked Sam, I said, what happened? He said, I finally realized that I had too much pride. Here's a guy who wasn't even saved. He had been saved maybe 10 minutes, and he said, I had too much pride. I know some Christians have been saved 10 years and would never admit they got pride. The next day before we left, I was getting ready to pack my car up and I had a little fella in there named Logan and he was helping us pick up our luggage out on the campsite and my kids' luggage. And we were riding around and I saw Sam out there with his Bible. He's walking around and he's reading. And I said, hallelujah. Went over to him and I said, Sam, what you doing? He said, hey man. He said, I was reading the Bible. You told me I need to read. He said, have you ever read this book, James? I said, yeah, I've read it a couple times. He said, I'm telling you, this thing's amazing. He said, I've been reading it. And he said, you know what I think I'm going to do? He said, I think I'm going to memorize James. I said, well, what verse are you going to memorize? He said, well, I'm going to memorize James. I said, what do you mean? He said, I just think it ought to be right that I memorize the whole book. He started memorizing the whole book of James. Been saved one day. I said, man, I said, it's going to take you a while. You've been reading it all morning. He said, nope, I've been on the phone for about two hours. I said, with who? He said, this morning I called my daddy. He said he wanted to let his daddy know that he was sorry and he got saved and he loved him and he forgave him and he wanted him to forgive him. You know what, what he didn't know was his dad only had about a year to live after that. Daddy died. You know what, if you don't have a spirit of brokenness, God can never work in your life. Tonight you are one of three places you've got a need. Number one, you might be here tonight and you need a home. 
You're here tonight, you might need a home. You say, well, preacher, I don't believe in all that hocus-pocus stuff. I don't believe in heaven, hell, don't believe in... you just. I believe you just die, go to the ground, go into dust, and that's it. It's total annihilated. You're just done. Well, I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but that ain't all it is. There's more to life than just what you see here. There is a life to come, and you need a home. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I'm here to tell you, if your greatest need tonight is to have a home, I promise you Jesus is waiting with arms right open, saying, come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Some of you may be in this room, and you know what, you're like the elder son. You might be in church, and you think you at home, but you as far as you can be from here million miles away, your mind's wandering, you angry, bitter at the world, thank God's dealt you a bad hand. And you know what, if you're a Christian, you're away on the road to a far country, all you got to do is who 180 degrees and get on the road back home. But there's some of you in here, you know what? You don't know how long it might be before you do go home. You might need a home. You might be needing to come home. And it might not be long before you go home. You know what, folks? You might not even see the grave. If you're in this room, you might not even get to see taste death. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen right there, just a partial one? I'll give you partial credit for it if you do. The twilight has ended And the day seems have gone by nightfall, how weary I've grown. But Jesus has led me each step of the way. And now I am going home. Go. nothing to hold me here. I've caught a glimpse of that heavenly land. Praise God, I am going Every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Nobody looking around, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Got a question to ask you tonight. Looking around, please. wonder if you'd say, Preacher, you know what? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know where my home's at. My eternal destiny has been settled in the finished work of Christ. There's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind tonight that I'm going to go to heaven and I could raise my hand right now. I don't have a shadow of a doubt. I put my faith in Christ and I know I'm on my way. God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. If you're in this room as Miss Shelley begins to play, I want to ask one more question before we go to prayer. If you're in this room, I wonder if you'd say, Preacher, I'm concerned about my eternal state. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but man, I want to go. 
I'm just not sure I would. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody here tonight that would be willing to say, Preacher, will you pray for me? I'm not sure if something were to happen to me tonight and I took my last breath that I'd go to heaven. But I want to and I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that? Just raise your hand. God bless you, friend. Anybody else say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure tonight that I'd go to heaven, but I want to. Anybody else before I go to prayer? Anybody? Christian, can I ask you one more question? Have you been unthankful? Have you been unforgiving, holding resentment? And have you been unbroken? David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. I'm here to ask you tonight, has there been a time when God has bruised you so he could use you? If you're here tonight and your greatest need is to go to heaven, I'm here tonight to tell you that Jesus Christ stands with arms wide open saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. God gave His only Son. That if you'll believe in Him, it said you won't perish, but you can have everlasting life. And Jesus says, Because I live, you can live also. If you're in this room, you need to come home. You out in the field playing games. You're on the road to a far country. You need to get on the road back home. If you need to do that tonight, all you've got to do is take the first step and God's waiting right there for you. Standing with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around, please. Could we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Nobody looking around. As Brother Larry comes, Pastor, you come, leading the invitation Him. As God moves, I ask you to search your heart and ask Him to put heaven's flashlight on whatever area you need to get right.